to the Paddy Talks podcast, and in this episode today, I speak with F1 YouTuber Josh Revel. In this episode, I chat to Josh about his journey from working at Macca's in Auckland to now having over 200,000 subscribers on YouTube, and if you're a motorsport fan, this is one for you. And just to mention, if you hear the word sim, he means by driving simulation. So let's get into the podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Paddy Talks podcast. Today, I'm speaking to F1 YouTuber, Josh Ravel. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me on, mate. That's all good, mate. It's an absolute pleasure. Tell the fans out there, you're from New Zealand. Am I right with that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, how's everything going in New Zealand at the moment with uh, everything going on around the world? Pretty much normal. You know, obviously, there's still the travel uh, restrictions that you get everywhere, uh, obviously excluding the quarantine-free travel throughout most of Aussie states at the moment, as long as Victoria can stop misbehaving themselves every so often. <laughs> yeah. You know, if one lives here, you wouldn't really recognise the pandemic because life really is just back to normal here. Uh, I guess you could say we're a bit complacent, but um, at the same time, it's been handled relatively well as well. Quite impressive for you guys to have really no cases of transmission. How's everything for yourself in you know terms of YouTube and making show making your you know your videos now? Has it changed how you've done them, or do you, is it still easier for you because you've it's all remote for yourself? Yeah, I mean it's it's always been easy. The fact that this um, can be done pretty much anywhere around the world as long as I got an internet connection. At no point did it really change, to be honest with you, pandemic or not. Um, you know, either way, I'm still locked in my room for hours on end, trying my best to try and get this thing finished. I mean, yeah, I guess pandemic gave me a bit of an excuse to, you know, work as many hours as I am on these uh, videos. What's the day of the life of a YouTuber for you, Josh? You know, how did you start from uh, making your videos uh, from then uh, to now? Uh, it's a it's a weekly thing. Um, these videos. So basically, the the videos um, get launched at four a.m. New Zealand time on a Friday, which is five p.m. in the UK, which is where the biggest demographic is. And that's, that's the end of proceedings. Um, pretty much immediately after that's released, I'm scripting the next video. So, you know, basically that work starts at five and although it basically continues until about sort of six, uh, about 12 hours dedicated to work. You know, scripting takes a couple of days. There's the audio, which is beyond tedious, half an hour of audio to cut together, get out all the bloopers, you know, and compress it down to a 10 minutes um, piece takes somewhere in the vicinity of about six, seven hours in total. So that's another day done. And then the rest of them are, um, are editing the video in full. Uh, either way, the, the days are pretty long with uh, trying to get these videos done because there's just so many moving parts to them. Despite the 
interesting nature of like nukes going off and all that other interesting circus stunts that you see in the video sometimes. But yeah, it's um, it's pr- it's pretty full on behind the scenes, and you know, right now I'm on a break, which has you know been a long time coming. But of course, with it being ingrained in you, you know, working like your, your first instinct is I've got to start work on this project. You know, even though you're on a break, you know, you're just subconsciously planning videos. Even like five, six days into this break, I'm still like, okay, what am I going to do? It's like, oh, have a break, will you? <laughs> so it's pretty full on, that's for sure. And so, Josh, how did you start getting into, you know, YouTube from a starting point? How did that come for you? In 2018, I was looking at Andrea Moda the supposed worst thing of all time, but there wasn't anything on there that explained what was going on. There's articles, but I like docos and all that stuff, and I thought, okay, well, why don't I just make one? And initially, I mean, I had the worst microphone in the world, but it was a microphone I had no money back then, literally about as broke as you could be. So I just had this crappy five a $5 microphone from Dick Smith and um, and I think you can see in that video, sort of halfway through, the style changed. Initially, I wanted it to be a sort of proper doco-style video and it morphed more into sort of the random um, cartoony stuff that you see nowadays, which I think was what I really wanted to do in the first place was, you know, because this this community can be pretty, like, not fun a lot of the time. It takes itself way too seriously. And when that went viral in 2019, out of the blue, I thought, okay, I've got something here. And I knew what I wanted to do, what type of videos I wanted to do. And I was like, okay, let's ride this gravy train. And, and I just created – initially, the first video I created was on UGE Day. But the file corrupted. <laughs> um and so I ended up just making a short video on Zelfig and I just, you know, created videos. And still to this day, I'm just creating videos that I want to see out there. And it's, you know, it's great fun, you know, still doing it. But uh, this time having decent equipment and not um, and not living on the, the balls of my ass, so to speak. Were you an, a motorsport fan before you did your YouTube videos or was it something that come along when you were much older? I think the first proper introduction to motorsport was back in 2001 and that was initially through V8 Supercars, which obviously in this part of the world is all the rave. So I was watching that. Formula One came into the equation because it was my first ever um, – video game that I ever owned. So I learned the sport through there. I started catching on to the sport back in 2003, I think. I cannot remember the first Grand Prix I've ever watched, but it was right about that time. So I had been following the sport for quite a while and started watching the sport regularly back in 2007, I believe. So... No, it's been part of the, part of the life um, for a long time, almost as much as um, rugby has for like, any Kiwi here. What was something that attracted to you to that uh, type of sporting event? 
I mean, I don't know. Like, it's. I think you ask any motorsport fan. I mean, I'm talking, you know, the ones who are properly into the whole grand scheme of things. They can't nail it down to one aspect. And a lot of them can't even describe why. It's just like, I don't know, I just like it. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's a combination of a whole lot of things. You know, some people say, I, I like it for the, I like it for the noise. It's like, so to you, it makes no difference if you're actually at a live racetrack or in your basement with the bloody uh, boom speakers out there, you know, tormenting you. Some like it for the crashes, and obviously those people are um, haven't got two brain cells to rub together. Yes. Um, yeah, but you know, in general, you ask a lot of motor racing people, and they'll say that they're not really sure because it is sort of a whole collective thing behind why they like it so much. Did you play sport yourself, Josh? Was it? Did you uh, go into the karting scene at all, or were you more rugby? Yeah, um, I dabbled in a bit of sort of everything. But you know, growing up in sort of South East Auckland, um, the rugby competition's quite fierce there. <laughs> um, you know, you're not playing against um, you're not playing against twigs there. There are some big boppers there that if you run into them, it's the equivalent of running into a fridge. <laughs> um, and the talent level is also insane. You know, that comes out of there. It's it's like playing. It's like playing footy or league in in sort of New South Wales area. It's like some of the talent that comes out of there is just crazy. Um, but for the while where I was properly fit, you know, um, was doing decently well for the school. You know, um, top try score. I think I still got the trophy here somewhere. Like uh, for the region <laughs> and. And that was about the time where I started to get into karting, like just sort of 13, 14 years old. But we didn't know what the hell we were doing back then. Now, we were running default setup in every single event and we were running tyres down to the canvas. And, you know, it was great fun turning into a corner on full lock and nothing was happening. It's just <laughs> we literally knew nothing. Eventually, later on, no, eventually we quit, we quit due to lack of funds. And somewhere down the line, I got back into it with Rotax and we knew what we were doing. The results were much better. But, um, again, it's the it's a money fiasco, you know, just just nothing in the bank account. Yeah, briefly dabbled in baseball when I was living over in uh, the UK, but had to come back to New Zealand and that kind of... I've always been involved in sports, although lately this YouTubing gig has kind of made it a bit more tricky. Mm. Oh, yeah, and also for how many years was it? Five, six years in my youth I was playing cricket. That was a, that was a big one to miss, wasn't it? Were you, any hand, were you, what were you, Josh, a fast bowler or uh, a batsman? Or? I believe I was fine league most of the time or wicket keeper. <laughs> it's just like, I'll just stay in the back here and I'll just do nothing. <laughs> so you're the Nick Schumacher, a bit of the Mick Schumacher in the cricket. Just want to hold at the back, don't want to annoy anyone. Uh, the difference is Mick Schumacher knew what he was doing. Yes, yes, that's I, true. I know. <laughs> but he... Uh, I swung their bat like a blind woodsman. Like, <laughs> seriously, like, Monty, Monty Penis uh, would be 
the better batsman than me, Chris Martin. <laughs> you know, all of the, all of them lot. Like, yeah. Apart from apart from that one time where it did hit a six and it uh, smashed the windscreen in the nearby parking lot, that was that was fun. Josh, you as you were saying, you went overseas. You went to Japan, and you say you went to UK as well. What was that for? Was that for work, and was was that to do with your simulation stuff, or was that to do with uh, just a holiday? So the UK, um, I was doing the big OE overseas experience, which you know people in this region, I was New Zealand, we always go over and work in pubs, which is always great fun. But every single thing that could have gone wrong in that time there did go wrong. I just ran through the resources as I tried to find employment and there was just nothing, like everything went wrong. Came back after three months, I've still got the visa and I've got more of a reason to move over there now because of what. You know, me being a F1 YouTuber entails in this part of the world for Formula One are just so rancid. But yeah, that only lasted three months and probably learned a lot more lessons there than what you would think from just a three month holiday, I guess. Mm -hmm. The Japan one, the first one, I really was only there for a holiday with, um, with a mate and just, you know, uh, just experienced all, all kinds of stuff in Japan, which is great, great country, great everything, really. I don't miss it, but, you know, like uh, I'm going to have to miss it for another f- sort of few years as they sort of refuse to let anything into the country. Um, the second year, um, it was still a holiday, but um, I was also looking to get work there as well with contacts that I had over there. I didn't mind the prospect of living in Japan uh, running race car simulators, and that was what I was chasing for quite a while. But eventually the YouTube thing just blew up, and um, it kind of really put it on the back burner. It's like, well, scraping by uh, for a living, uh, living in Japan, running race car simulators, or remain here in New Zealand and doing videos on my own accord. You know, race simulation, what did that entail, Josh? So in terms of work, it was just uh, running the simulators, coaching, all that stuff. You know, and when, when I say coaching, it was mainly just telling people to break, and they wouldn't break, <laughs> and they'll just go flying off. It was some of the most frustrating experiences trying to, t- to teach people how to drive those simulators because more often than not, any instruction you give them, they blatantly ignore, such as, such as the way humans are built. It was that, and I was hired off of, you know, results that I had in sim racing as well as, you know, the need for work. So, yeah, I think I did that on and off for almost a decade um it was fun going to all different parts of the country running them meeting you know proper racing drivers and all this stuff it was yeah it was an interesting interesting part of the life that's for sure yeah and what what was some of the drivers you met while you were in doing this uh job in the simulation simon evans uh shane van gisbergen nick cassidy jason bryce Greg Murphy, uh, Scott McLaughlin. You know, especially growing up in 2001, you know, 
as a kid in 2001 in this part of the world interested in motorsport you know v8 supercar drivers were you know the epitome of motorsport in this country if you were a motorsport fan you knew who they were and then all of a sudden here i am working with them and you know helping them into the simulator and you know teaching them uh, a bit about how it works it's like this is a bit surreal for sure you're probably yeah. you're probably pinching yourself, Josh, talking to these guys who you know you've known and watched on TV. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's um, it was certainly. I think I remember one of my later ones. I was with Paul Radisich, and um, yeah, very very humble guy. Um, someone I looked up to, which couldn't be done then because he's so short. I had looked down to him, and like. I mean, I was starstruck when I saw him, you know. I, I was you know, completely stuttering, you know. It's weird being on the other end of that because you're legitimately wondering if the other person's having a stroke. It's like, are you okay? Like, so now I understood that, but just genuinely, like, with um, with that moment, it was, it was kind of surreal again. You know, again, one of these guys I looked up to, back in the day uh, and here I am just having a casual conversation with them something I didn't really think was sort of possible you, you sometimes pinch yourself when you when you properly meet these uh, big name uh, sports stars especially in the motorsport world or you know those types of people Shane Van Gisburn and them it's a pretty big name to meet them so I can totally see see the same thing uh, myself I've met some famous people myself and it, it is this you, you're almost in that stroke like pinch yourself what is going on here type of type of uh, of uh, situation Josh yeah and sometimes you completely somehow mess up the word structure of yes. your sentence yes all and your mind is saying have a good race today and it comes out today race have a good one <laughs> yes. what, what did I say yes <laughs> Yes, that's oh, always the eternal the... struggle of being starstruck, hey? Yes, yes, that's very true, very true. Before you got into the YouTube scene, Josh, did you do? Did you have, apart from your simulation driving and that and then coming back to New Zealand, did you have a job in terms in New Zealand or was it nothing really? That was 2017 and before that I was working at Macca's, you know, to help um, – with the living costs of, you know, work of um, studying at university. And I got my degree and, oh, degree in, I can't even remember, but at that point I thought, look, might as well go experience an OE. Then I came back after it all blew itself to pieces and I needed a job because, of course, you know, as is the way, you know, you know, there's plenty of people out there wanting to hire new young people, but they need five years' experience. I'm like, great. This is just great. I can't find work right now. I need work immediately because I need to serve. I need to be able to get by at least. So I went back to the Maccas. You know, it was a manager, which was good money. It wasn't wasn't brilliant on my mental health, you know, working in a place like that, not necessarily the work environment was bad, but that you'd, you're on the other side of the window, you know, and it's just, you know, 
some of the animals that come through the foyer or the drive-thru is just like, oh my god! I, I now know, no, I now know what not to do when I'm a customer, and that went on um, for another sort of six months before I got a job as a computer repairman for Hewlett Packard, and ironically. It sounds like a pretty good gig, you know, being a computer repairman um, qualified, you know, being flown around the country every so often for work. I was getting on average like probably about 10 grand less than what I was working in Macca's, which is a bit ironic when you think about it. Like, <laughs> you know, you would think that they'll be on different ends of, ends of the spectrum. But, um, you know, I suppose it was a um, – <clears throat> It was a proud job to have. I've got to be proud to have that kind of job. And then friggin' 2019, mid-2019, that was properly dark moment of, of the life, that's for sure. And I was like, I've got to get out of this place. Like, this is just crap. I don't like being here. Um, that was about the same time as the first Zeltvig video came out on YouTube. So I focus on doing videos. I like doing videos. Then December, it properly um, started to spike. The the numbers started to climb, and I think by January January twenty twenty, the sub count was at like twenty thousand, which was pretty mega for sure. Pals where it is today, um, but no, irrespective. Um, I went to the Toyota racing series. I met up with a mate who eventually went on to work for Speed Cafe. So he was vacating his job as a journalist at Velocity News and Autocar <coughs> New Zealand. I met up with the owner, um, Mark Patch, and he enrolled me as a journalist, and that was like, wow, okay. So... Got the dream gig. Got, uh, I'm now a journalist and sort of successful YouTuber. This is this is great. You know, the pay's still wonky, but you know, at the very least, you know, it's still on. It's on the right track. You know, I know they're sitting into a bit of a life story, I suppose. But when you were there, about May 2021 was when I properly found out just how sort of 24-7 a journalism gig is. And it was killing the channel. You know, if you go back to that time, you'll see like it was one video a month. Mm. I said like, I said to myself, like, look, it's, it's either one or two here. You either go for your journalism career or you go for your YouTubing career. And either could blow up in, in my face if I chose the wrong one. I just saw more more potential with the YouTubing um, side of things. And so I went with that. It was a hell of a thing to do, to quit a regular job in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, I know. To go as a full-time YouTuber, <clears throat> especially since my first paycheck as a full-time YouTuber was 758 bucks for the month. I was like... <laughs> Okay, there's <laughs> nowhere near enough to live in this overpriced cesspool of a city called Auckland. <laughs> but obviously, since that time, the success of the videos have meant that I won't give the exact figure, but 
to put it extremely mildly, I got a comfortable living. So, you know, it's um, all thanks to that Squarespace and Skillshare money. <laughs> um, uh, but, it, no, it's predominantly, like, it's, I mean, especially with how last month went, I just see what I get out of it. And it's like, you know, I lived in overdraft for two or three years, like literally, literally not having money, just borrowing. So to come from there to where I am today is just, you know, um, and it's still sort of can't really process it, but, you know, I'm definitely thankful for it, but that's for sure. Incredible story there, Josh. And what was it like working for the magazine? Can you just tell me about what was it like being a journalist in New Zealand with the with the in the motor racing industry? Yeah, no, it was cool. Like, I mean, especially with um, with Patch because you know he was such an integral part of New Zealand motorsport. Um, uh, of course, if you got on the wrong side of him, that was your ass. <laughs> uh, but. Um, I, I learned that lesson the hard way once, but you know, it was by and large great person to work with. They were great people to work with. It was a bit full on the job, and I suppose if I didn't have YouTube, I would have been perfectly content with uh, working there. You know, that was the autocast side of it. With velocity, I mean, yeah, to, to me it was great because I knew what I wanted to see in you know journalism and motor racing. I didn't want to see clickbaity stuff. You know, I'm not, I'm not that much of a fan of Planet F1. And, yeah, like, it, it was great. But, of course, you know, I'll be reporting on races and such. So, okay, great. You, you go to work <clears throat> from 8, 8 a.m. to 3 or 4 whenever you clock out. And because every single thing that was going on, especially at that time, you know, esports races and so forth, was all happening in the dead of night. <laughs> and I have to report on it and have to break the news first. It was just a farcical amount of work. Like, and, and, and all alongside YouTubing, I probably got on average about four hours of sleep a night, and that was obviously not enough. Well, that's, uh, that's quite incredible there, Josh. Uh, oh, in Australia, um, the online world, online sporting world is very slow to um, – come to us, I think, even in New Zealand. I'm, I'm guessing, Josh, only a certain few would know what's going on. And to know that you being a journalist on it and knowing that you've got, you, have to, you have to smash out all this content and only get about four hours of sleep just uh, just, just makes me go, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy at the same time. Really, really, uh, really incredible for, uh, in that situation. What was it? What was going through your mind? Uh, like, you know, you've made the decision to be a full-time YouTuber, what did you do before in between that decision? Did you sit down with someone and go, this is what I want to do, or did you go on your own accord when it comes to that? I think um, the moment that sticks out was a phone conversation I had with my father, and I said, it's literally I have to choose here. They cannot coexist with each other. And I think he did lean more with YouTubing, which I thought was a really telling because he was he was you know typically this sort of person like oh well it is a job for life which was crap like <laughs> i mean you know that's never a guarantee especially depending upon what one what part of it you study he's more i, I never would have expected and i think i got um 
universal sort of opinion on this the same that YouTubing was the way to go. And I thought, well, if the family who would, I, I never in a million years would think would support this, are saying that this is the thing you've got to do. If they're saying this, all right, just got to go with the gut, uh, gut feeling on this one. That's really interesting. That's really incredible. I would not expect it's normally the opposite. It's normally uh, the old man saying, no, don't go down that path. Stay with the traditional path. So very interesting, Josh. You go on to make your channel. What do you make sure, how do you make sure that your channel is different to other YouTube channels on F1 or any sport in general? Try and differentiate it too much. It's in, the, in the end, it's basically sort of almost what I want to see. Sometimes the videos are just beyond rushed because, you know, the workload is too much for them. But in general, like, if there's a video I could point out, I can't remember anyone. I can't remember the last one where I was actually happy with it, but uh, it's what I want to see out there, you know. I'm not necessarily trying to make it different. It's just the idea that springs to mind, that's what goes out on video. I'm not trying to stand out. It's just... This is how it is, really. When it comes to your content, and you were saying, you know, your first video was on the worst F1 team of all time in Andrea Moda, how do you find the research for these type of videos? You know, for example, your WTF videos, um, you know, they're very quite niche, you know, uh, videos. How do you make, how do you find the research for this? Uh, it's all just residual knowledge from the years even now, like the WTF videos, for example, but they're, they're planned out till the end of 2023. Like it's all about sort of just watching the sport, being a connoisseur of it and just noticing these stories and so forth. And some of them are a bit hard to um, <clears throat> put into a particular form of video, but I'm definitely not short of ideas. It's just, you know, me being so totally invested obsessed with the sport for the longest time that has yeah helped me help me out immensely with the channel and is that obsession does that ever make you feel do you get bored of what you do josh or not really not really because i mean there's there's two aspects to um to what i'm doing there's obviously the motor racing side of it and then there's trying to make a video you know so and I love those two aspects a lot, and it's what I've wanted to do for the longest time. So to be given an outlet where this is this is the living, you know. I mean, obviously there are days where you just don't want to do it, but I think that's applicable with every job, you know. Like, yeah. no matter how much you love it. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if there have been days where I'm, I, I just thought I'm so bored of this stuff. Uh, touch wood on that. <laughs> Next thing you know, about two weeks from now, okay, I'm bored. I don't want to do this no more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope not, Josh. Your, your content's, uh, let's say, uh, superb. And, you know, it's really interesting some of the stuff you have done uh, with your videos. Do you, do you feel like you have any competition in what videos you do or not really? I really don't know because I don't really focus on that much, to be honest with you. Like, the only sort of competition in any slight that I've sort of focused on is a race to 200,000 subs with me and Tomo, which I won. 
<laughs> no, no, like it's honestly, I know that there's a few other people out there who have taken inspiration. In real layman's terms, you can't beat the original recipe. You know, there's there's the original, and then there are sort of everyone else. So I'm more interested about um, what other people can bring to the table in their own sort of way. Uh, a good example of that is uh, Perspective. Um, Sam, who, you know, has his own channel. I'm loving the fact that he's he's doing his own thing. And that's what I encourage through a lot of YouTubers. It's like, yeah, take inspiration from me, Tomo, whoever, if you want, but you've got to have a sort of vision for how you are going to fill any kind of void in this community. It was easy for me because, like, before I entered, you know, all you had really was Chamber, Eldas, and 300 podcasts. There was nothing sort of in between. Yeah. Um, then I came along with my with my bloody circus, and that caught on with a lot of other people, which is great. You know, good to good to have like some inspiration for people. But um, by and large, uh, I'm really not concerned about competition mm-hmm. because you know I'm just doing my own thing, which is what I've been doing ever since the inception of it, and I'll continue doing it and. I'll just allow my channel to grow uh, in its own time and see where it goes. Obviously, there's you know that impossible goal of one million. I mean, especially back when the when the channel hit a thousand subs, I thought, okay, a hundred thousand would be really, really amazing. Um, million won't happen, mm-hmm. but now with where I am, it's like. Okay, a million is the goal, and I can't believe I'm saying those words. Yeah, well, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really you know, again to get back to the original question, really honestly, I'm just not concerned about any other YouTubers or what they do. That's what they want to do, but I've got pretty clear path for my own stuff. I want to just give you back to an interesting, uh, interesting story I found uh, about yourself, Josh. You went oh, uh, a trick. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know if you're not going to like this or like this. You had a tricky situation with F3 driver Alessio Dilala. Now, just tell oh me, god, can you yeah. can you tell me what was going on there? You don't have to go me through the whole details, but just give me an <laughs> idea. Yes, Alessio Deletta, uh, current F2 driver. F2 driver. Um, yeah, so I notice, you know, through the junior ranks, I've been watching this long enough to know who are the really good drivers, like extremely good, like Taylor Porsche or Robert Schwartzman or Liam Lawson, know who the average drivers are who, you know, sort of – fade into the background. I know who the slow drivers are, you know, like Will Hermes Samaya. And then I know the drivers that are just not qualified to drive a road car, more or less <laughs> a feeder series F1 car, uh, an F1 feeder series car. We saw that with Mahavir, you know, in 2019 where he was so horribly out of his depth. I mean, I just notice 
these talents up through the fields, some just stick out like a raisin in a fruitcake. And that was with the letter in F3 where I was like, oh, God. But, the, but I was saying throughout the year, I was just like, he has got money. He is going to get to Formula 2. And this is a pill we're going to have to swallow. He was announced in F2 and about the same time, there was videos circulating of him driving 300 kilometers an hour on the autostrada in his Lamborghini Huracan. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, okay, so you, you are the slowest driver in in motor racing and you do this? Like, come on. And I, all throughout the year, I already had requests to do a video on him and I thought, well, no time like the present for this situation. So I did a video on him being, uh, the video being why Alessio Deleta is the worst example of a racing driver. I knew it was going to evoke a reaction from him because he seemed like someone who wouldn't like that. 17 hours after I posted the video, I get a message from his lawyers with a cease and desist saying, uh, basically, Delita was not the one driving that Lamborghini Huracan, which is totally fair to say. Two hours before that, it was not Delita who posted a picture of him in front of his Huracan in the region of Italy, which is where the car was caught speeding. But yeah, it wasn't him. <laughs> so, no, but I knew I would lose the court case in like 10 seconds flat because... All prosecutors would have to ask is, Mr. Revel, how can you affirmatively prove that it was Mr. Deleta driving the car? Yeah. Yeah, you can't, can you? At no point was he in the footage. I was like, okay, I'll take the video down. So I let it roll to midnight so that all the ad money would be uh, given to the video. I was like, okay, fine. I get the money anyway. (laughs) No, I mean, it was like I knew, like, like, it was true. Like I had to take it down for that reason. Wasn't happy with this, but you know, like it's just a way it is. And I just thought, well, okay, you're going to F2 next year. I'll take it down. And I will not say it was you driving the Lamborghini either, but just so you know, I've had experience with crappy F2 drivers before. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, just, just for just for clarity's sake, um, you know, for Delita's attorneys, I cannot affirmatively prove it was him driving the car, so I will not say it was him driving the car. He is driving his F2 car, though, and that's kind of a bit more of an interesting story to tell. What's what, what's your take on him driving F2 now? Is he what's what's happened to him? Is he improved or is he still in the slump? Oh, he's appalling. <laughs> Um, like, I mean, he's gone better, I suppose, but it's a very low bar to clear. Mm. I mean, for comparative sake, Mahavir in the Monaco group qualifying was five seconds slower than the next than the fastest person in his group. Deleta was six point two seconds slower. And he claims that there was mechanical issues that weekend. It's like, well, I mean, the last few years of results kind of cast some doubt in my mind, if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, he did gradually improve, but, you know, you're talking about, like, 
improving from being like four seconds slower to 2.5 seconds slower than their next car. Like that's not something to write home about, but we'll give him the year. It's already been an interesting year so far, but uh, he's an interesting case. That's for sure. You uh, take an interest in Maraha as well, the Colt Formula 2 driver. Why is that, Josh? Is that something that you stumbled across him as well when he was in his junior ranks? So, you know, I was watching F2 2019, and when he was announced, I was like, I've heard that name before. Searched up his results, I was like, oh, God, here we go. (laughs) Um I mean, I've seen some unqualified drivers before get into the sport, but this was a bit on another level. So I was like, <laughs> okay, just, just keep an eye on him. I let the year play out. He was obviously terrible. And I think the Lord Mahavir hashtag already kicked off before that video was announced. I really can't be certain, but he certainly was absolutely torn to pieces that year like he was absolutely appalling you know in the races being horribly off the pace smashing drivers being banned twice you know during the year which was something else and I thought well no one's doing a video on him yet and I really want to do that and so I did it and I gave it two weeks to let the video just be complete and I'm glad I did because it involves you know that music cue that um that has just become associated with him which you know that sort of superhero music where he cut the corner that was a happy accident like um I was editing that video about the time I was like I need some different music here but what can I get? And I just stumbled, I, I was listening to all this royalty free stuff and I just stumbled across this superhero music. And I thought, I'm just going to take the first A. <laughs> have this sort of heroic, heroic sort of music while this guy just completely shit takes the whole thing and cuts the corner. And since that time, the music has just become associated with him. There was just so many things in that video which just took on a life of its own you know it extended outside the video ironically enough i mentioned eddie the eagle at that start of the video and said how he was a cultural icon despite being so poor and it was great because since then he really has become like eddie the eagle you know he is that cultural sort of icon i think we i don't really think we even care about how bad he was anymore he's just you know if you saw him in the paddock or whatever, you just go up and just say hi, ask for autograph or whatever, because he's on that sort of cultural status. May not have been what he wanted originally. I'm sure he would have wanted to go to Formula One, but um, I think a lot of us wanted to go to Formula One, and <laughs> uh, that dream won't happen anytime soon. Do you have any dreams of going on to Sky Sports, Josh, one day on the UK and joining their team? Is that something of a goal of yours? I honestly don't know. I've even had dreams of going on like WTF1 because, you know, that's sort of the niche, you know. Mm. But when you look back at it now, the channel's at 205,000 subs, which is pretty insane. i got full control over it and everything. I've got ideas for literal years. So 
I've got to ask myself whether or not it's something I want to necessarily abandon right now, you know. Mm. I suppose if the right opportunity came up, and I'm not sure it necessarily is with Sky Sports, but if the opportunity came up, then I'd obviously consider it. But, I mean, for now, obviously, I've got a good thing going, so I'll just be keeping on with that. So, Josh, I'm just going to change some topic now onto the uh, current F1 season, just a few questions here. What's your take on the uh, current season at the moment? It's pretty uh, crazy. I'm loving it. Like um, Red Bull have been, this is the first time Red Bull have fostered a proper challenge for the title since 2013, because Max is, in my personal opinion, and don't take this the wrong way, listeners. Max is the most naturally gifted uh, driver on raw pace out there right now. I there's someone who I do compare him to in terms of his pace. Yeah, I think we've got we've got a special selection of drivers out there right now with Charles Leclerc, uh, George Russell, Lewis, Danny Rick when he's when he's finally got his head around that car. <clears throat> Lando Norris is coming good. And we've got Max there. Checo is doing fantastic, you know? An outstanding array of drivers and Lance Stroll. And you ultimately have this grid where if any one of them was in the right car they could challenge for the title. And it's great that we finally got two cars that could very easily win that title. But it's realistically between Max and Lewis this year. And I'm picking Max for the win, which I think I already picked it last year. He was going to win this title because Red Bull hit the ground running. And that's turning out to be true, kind of. But the, the, the issue is, is that you make one mistake against... Sir Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, that's all they need because I know opinion on this side of the globe is pretty strong on Lewis, but um, he's and he's had the best car for years, yes, but you really can't fault the way he drives. It's just out bloody standing and we just sort of, we're going to look back on it in a few years and think, wow, <laughs> how do we not appreciate this more in the time? You know, Max can challenge him, and he's got the car to do it now. So it's something where, yeah, yeah, I picked I pick Max to win this, but uh, you could tell this is something that's going to be unbelievably close, and that's ultimately what we want. We want a close season of Formula One. It's great to see that happening. I think it's great as well, being an F1 fan as well, Josh. I think it's it's amazing to see. We'll go on something a little lighter now with with F1 still in the current season. What's your take on Hass's situation? And do you think that Rich Energy might make an appearance in the future? Uh, I wanted to introduce that question with singing the anthem, but I think they outlawed the USSR anthem <laughs> in a few countries. We're five years imprisonment if I sing those words. Yeah. But <clears throat> it, it does seem, for all money, that they have been completely bought out by the Mazepins. I suppose it's good because Gene Haas has wanted out of that team for years. I I think I don't think he's been happy about being in Formula One for the like past four years. I think and he was talking about selling the team and the big rumours that Mazepin will buy out the team in full, which is quite uh, interesting. Ops, um, but then you've got you know a whole mishmash of different characters there. You know, you've got Gunter Steiner, you know, who's always interesting to listen to, you know, uh, all the time on, on the fourth radio. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, he's 
he's quite a character, but at the same time, you get the impression sometimes that he's sort of creates a toxic environment, kind of. I could be wrong. It's an interesting one at that. You have um, Mick Schumacher, who is a bit of a slow bloomer when it comes to his form, but nonetheless, it's still great long-term prospects because he's very clean, very methodical driver. Someone who definitely will work well with the Ferrari camp. So I don't know who's going to get the short end of the stick at Ferrari, but uh, I see a long future for Mick in the sport. Touch wood, because everything I say ages like milk. <laughs> Some last questions just to finish off, Josh. You're quite active on social media with your YouTube channel, of course. Do you think people are turning to you for your opinion on the sport in general? Uh, maybe. I mean, I try to be impartial as much as I can, but it's such a toxic environment. I don't like putting out too much opinion there. Like, for example, in Baku, in the F2 feature race, there was an accident at Turn 3, and my immediate reaction was, it's just a racing incident. Because in the sport, you know, sometimes there's just no one to blame. Sometimes things just happen. And that was an opinion that was shared by pretty much everyone involved. A lot of drivers looked at it and were just like, it's just, it's just a racing incident. But people just love to apportion blame. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole lot of, oh, he deserved it. Oh, he's, he's a prick. And, you know, he's like this again and ramming people off the road. It's like, she's okay. I will not speak on this because it's just going to completely divide the room. You know, hmm. I think, you know, I'll give my opinion in a video, you know, like with um, with the Top 1080s video. I knew that me putting Senna behind Pross was going to <laughs> get the wrath of God onto me. But <clears throat> at least then I had the video to sort of explain why I did that and saying this is decade specific. This is not overall. And, you know, you know Prost had done I accomplished so much in this decade the center who was still coming into it in the midway point now, I can explain all these things and give you know kudos to Senna while at the same time explaining why one was better although with uh, Twitter there's only that what was it 200 character yeah, limits yeah and of course you've got people hiding behind the keyboard who will just hell abuse at you and all that stuff it's just don't really have the time or energy to um, expel on any of that, you know. Do Do you find now being on YouTube? Does that do you? How do you cope with the criticism? Do you ignore it, or do you look at it and do you do you comment on those comments? I don't read too much of the comments because there's just so much of it. There's thousands of comments per video. There's just way too much to go through. Although, you know, if there's a legitimate criticism, then I'm fine with that. You know, if someone's saying it's not Bogota, it's Bogota, which was like, okay, okay, I, I, I messed up, okay. <laughs> like, or if I got a fact wrong or anything like that, it's like, yeah, okay. If it's a legitimate criticism, then I'm cool with that. But if it's saying, you know, this is shit, this is boring, it's like, well, you're not telling me anything. Hmm. And, okay, you say it's shit and boring. Well, my sub count says that you're kind of in the minority here. Um, At the end of the day, that's something that I've said to a couple of other people in YouTube that have sort of 
hit that criticism thing. And I said, honestly, just, just look at your following and ask yourself if that one person's comments matter. Yeah, I know it hurts. I know it's a hard sort of look past it, but honestly, if I worried about every criticism like that, that was bestowed upon me, I wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. You know, like at, the, at the end of the day, if you're enjoying doing what you're doing and if the content that you want to put out there is what you want, why are you worrying about what other people have to say? You know, mm-hmm. and that's why I've never had a problem with what other people have said. I know it's not for everyone. It's, as I said, it's a bloody circus of a um, video content, you know, sort of thing. All the, inf- all the information's there. Some people aren't aching to the idea of Sochi Autodrome being nuked 13 times in a video. <laughs> honestly, coping with criticism, it's, it's honestly just not something that bothers me, really. That's, that's very interesting, Josh, because um, I say a lot of people are very different to it. Uh, oh, I've, um, and you've asked any young person today who does a YouTube video or makes content on any platform, it could be podcast, YouTube, it's a different, a very different uh, dynamic. And that's really interesting how you put it into. So uh, to all those out listening, I think uh, take on what Josh has just said there. Josh, do you, do you think that the F1 will be a different sport once you know new regulations come in? It's encouraging closer racing um, in terms of, you know, being able to follow closely. I think, you know, that's what's sort of stopped, you know, the great racing from happening is to see an ability to follow closely. Uh, That does look to be solved here. Cost cap furthering in that uh, time. Yeah, um, I definitely believe it will produce closer racing within a few years of the regulations coming into place. There'll probably be a period of time where there will be great disparity throughout the field, but that happens every time these types of rig changes come along. But more to the point, I've got no idea who's going to be top dog next year. Mm. You know, Mercedes are heavily investing in their stuff, but Williams are heavily investing too. Aston Martin have got um, Lawrence Stroll who... Apart, not just the fact that he's so loaded, he's got a great motorsport brain behind him. You no, know? he's raced himself. You know, he's he owned racetracks, Ferrari VIP. He understands the mentality of racing, and so he'll know where to invest, how to invest, and all that stuff. So that's essential. Ferrari may come to the floor. Um, Red Bull may fall back. You know, there's so many unknowns. So while I'm excited for it, it's impossible to tell at this point just how next season's going to look. Hopefully, we're going to get some uh, some close racing. Well, I think all the fans around the world want close racing. And finally, uh, Josh, and it's been a great chat, mate. I'll be honest; it's been a, a, a really great chat. And I'm really pleased. And I'll be honest, you're, you're a busy guy, and I, I just really appreciate you being on the podcast. My final question for you, Josh, is we've got many different graphics uh, who listen to this podcast, kids, adults, anyone really. Um, what advice would you give to anyone right now? What's the one bit of advice you'd like to give to anyone? If, uh, if you feel strongly about, about your passion and you feel that you can achieve it, like that you've got just an unrelenting urge, 
to get it done like I had with YouTube and you've got pretty clear goals for what you want, just do it. Even if it's just a hobby to start out with, just better to try and fail than to not try at all, really. I try. I tried it out, um, even when the odds were sort of against against me a bit, and I turned out okay. <laughs> oh, you turned out you turned out better. You turned out better than what you think, Josh. I'll be honest. So, um, mate, it's been- yeah. So it's that it's that advice as well as you know, basically elsewhere in life. Just remember, keep it respectful, be wholesome, don't be a martyr. As always, <laughs> you know. See you all later. <laughs> yes, yes. That, that, whole, that whole spiel, that whole spiel, that Marmus thing. I, oh God, I don't know how the <laughs> hell that came up. Like, that was, that's a dead slang here in New Zealand. Um, I still used it in the 80s, and it came, came up again in the early 2000s. And I just remember this uh, energy drink ad as a kid um, where Marmus was thrown around. And I was saying it during the time of the UGE Day video. Yeah, yeah. And I was looking to get some kind of outro. And for some freaking reason, it's just what came out in the script. Even though I knew that almost no one watching it was going to get it. <laughs> and you know, it, it, it went from being a dead slang to, again, just being part of what, what the channel's about and just sort of being something that's sort of flung around the paddock. Taking a dead sling and making it into something around a motor racing paddock only, only my circus can accomplish such a thing. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's really cool, Josh. And um, you know, that, that's really that's really interesting, actually. And we now finally know what you mean by "don't be a manus at the end of the YouTube video. So um, yeah, that's all. But Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Um, I'll be definitely putting your link up of your show in the in the uh, in the notes uh, when I put the whole podcast uh, together, so everyone can follow on and watch uh, Josh Ravel's uh, YouTube channel grow and get to see all the interesting videos you have on, mate. Sounds awesome, mate. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks very much. All right, cheers, mate. Thanks for having me on. Well, that is the end of Paddy Talks for this week. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Josh and I highly recommend to give his channel a watch and make sure to subscribe to the channel. That mean a lot to him. But that is all for now. I make sure to keep updated with everything Paddy Talks on the socials and Spotify and Simplecast. But for now, goodbye and talk soon.